Hello, my friend. I've been looking forward to getting together with you again. If you're a pastor, this podcast is for you. Let's talk shepherdology. I am excited to start a new year with you, and I have a lot to talk about during the next few months here on Shepherdology. I want to be a friendly voice encouraging you and discussing topics that are helpful to you and praying for you, and that's what we do here on Shepherdology. Some of you have been with us for a while. Others of you might just now be joining with us, and so that is the format that we use. I start with an encouraging truth, and then we talk about a topic, and then I end with praying for you. And uh, one thing I'm excited about is a new piece of equipment that I have that's going to make it possible for me to have interviews. It's a Behringer mixer that handles multiple microphones, so I can have somebody else here with me recording. I don't have anybody else here today, but I plan to in the near future and do some interviews In the past, when I've done interviews, I've had to just use one microphone and swing it back and forth, and uh, now we can have a a legit interview, and I'm looking forward to that very much. My 97-year-old mother, uh, many people call her Grandma Taylor, has helped me with some of the costs of getting started with this podcast, Shepherdology, including the equipment and paying for the host site, and she helped me with this mixer. Uh, And I'm very grateful for her help. It's her way of doing something for the Lord. Like I said, she's 97, not really able to do a whole lot, but she does have a heart for ministry and supporting what God is doing. And so she has supported and uh, helped to uh, get this podcast going. So I'm thankful for her help with that and getting the mixer. And so we'll get those up and running here soon. And I've got some interviews planned, which I'm very excited about and look forward to sharing those with you. Now, today we're going to start with an encouraging truth. I don't know about you, but I know as a pastor, I struggled with feelings of inadequacy. There are just so many weighty responsibilities and amazing opportunities that make uh, a pastor realize how far short he falls of being able to do what's expected of him. And uh, the responsibilities are great. People's problems sometimes are complex. I would say preaching the Word is such a great responsibility that we so often struggle with feelings of inadequacy. And I want to share an encouraging truth with you related to that struggle. I've been reading in the book of Exodus, and right now I'm reading about where God revealed himself to Moses, and God informed Moses that he was going to confront Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses protested several different times, and one of them is in Exodus chapter 3. And verse 11, Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So Moses says, Who am I? We don't know all of his motivations for saying that, but I would say that there was at least a sense of inadequacy, maybe some unwillingness along with that, and he was was protesting. But listen to God's answer in Exodus 3, verse 12. He said, But I will be with you. I will be with you. 
What a reassuring promise from the Lord. You know, when Jesus commissioned his disciples in Matthew 28, it says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We know that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. And so just as God promised Moses that he would be with Moses, we know that God is with us. Jesus Christ will not leave you. The Holy Spirit is in you, enabling you and accompanying you in your ministry. But let me go a step further, because then Moses says to God, and now I'm in Exodus chapter 4 here, verse 3, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, excuse me, not verse 3, verse 13, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And there is that just incredibly profound description and title that God gives about himself. I am who I am. And let me read to you what the Expositor's Bible Commentary says about this. The formula of self-introduction means I am truly he who exists and who will be dynamically present then and there in the situation to which I am sending you. What a great explanation of God telling Moses, I'm going to be with you and I am who I am. I am truly he who exists and who will be dynamically present then and there in the situation to which I am sending you. And you're not Moses, and we're not uh, delivering the children of Israel, but you are a pastor, and you are a minister of the Word of God, and a shepherd of the people of God. And I think we can claim the truth and the promise that God is with us also, and he is the same God. I am who I am means he's the same past, present, and future. And just as like the description from the commentary says, he is dynamically present then and there in the situation to which I'm sending you, just like that was true of Moses. I think that's true of, of God's presence and involvement with you in your ministry. When the God who made and rules all appears in our consciousness, in our lives, like he did Moses, and enlists us in ministry endeavors that are uh, that, that seem almost impossible at times against formidable opponents, we naturally respond like Moses, who me? To which God responds, yes, you, but not by yourself. I, the all-knowing, all-powerful God of the ages, will be with you. Now, my mind went forward to the New Testament as I thought about examples of this, and I thought of the Apostle Paul and what he says in 2 Timothy 4 as he was in prison in Rome. In verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. And you may feel that way sometimes, like you're all alone and even even people are abandoning you, it seems. 
Now listen to 2 Timothy 4.17. Paul says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. What a great truth, a great verse, 2 Timothy 4.17. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. I think you can claim that truth as well. God is standing with you. He is strengthening you, and he will enable you to proclaim the message and to carry out the ministry that he has called you to. So I hope that experience in Moses' life and reassurance from God and also the example of Paul will be an encouraging truth for you, that when you feel inadequate and alone and sometimes even deserted, God is with you and he is strengthening you. And the same God of past, present, present, and future, I am who I am, is with you. Now, I want to talk with you today about something I have invested a lot of time and prayer and labor in over the past couple of years. When I started pastoring, that would have been in the mid-1990s when I first became the pastor of a church. There were various ideas and movements and people leading the way in the area of church growth and that was back when Bill Hybels was a big name and Willow Creek was holding conferences about how to grow your church. It was also during that time that Rick Warren and Saddleback Church were very popular. And so his book, The Purpose Driven Church, of course, was, was very popular. And you know, it doesn't matter when uh, you, you live and, and minister, there are always people who are held up as examples and some who even uh, present themselves and their methods as models for church growth. And that whole idea of, of a church growing was on my mind, and I even, I guess I would say, felt somewhat of a pressure as, as churches in my community uh, adopted some of those methods, pursued some of the philosophy behind it, and there's a pressure to be a growing church. But I was driven to the scriptures, and I, I thought, you know, I want to know what the Bible says about the church and how it should grow. And as a young pastor at that time in my early 30s, I sought the New Testament for principles and examples and instructions on this idea of the church growing. And I found myself often landing in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And, of course, Ephesians is about the church. Some people call it the blueprint for local church ministry. But, but I landed in that key passage, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, especially regarding what church life should look like, what people's roles in the life of the church are, including pastors and members, and then what, what the goal of growth is in the church and what the factors are that contribute to growth in the church. I discovered all of those just in my own study uh, and pursuit of these principles in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. And I've looked at my 
the, the records of, of my preaching over the years in the two churches where I pastored. And I went back to Ephesians 4 many times. You know how sometimes you just want to preach and, and guide the church in areas of church life and goals for the church and, and what we should be pursuing. And it just seems like every time that I did that, I ended up in Ephesians 4. And so it just became a, a very important and key passage in my own life as I formed my own ideas of how a church should grow. And as I pastored those two churches, one for nine years, the other for 12 years, I would say that both of those churches experienced growth. Now, sometimes that growth included multiplication, people coming to the church, people being saved and discipled and, and joining the church. But many times there were seasons of maturing, and that is important as well. And that's what I see in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, is not so much the multiplication side of church growth, though that is very important, but the maturing facet of church growth. Well, a few years ago, as God directed me from pastoring to now being a professor of pastoral studies at Faith Baptist Bible College, I had the opportunity to to use blocks of time during the times between semesters or uh, between uh, school years to to go back to that passage of Scripture and go back to those messages that I had preached and to develop those into a manuscript. So I went back to the passage, kind of restudied it, went over the sermons, and then just, just started from scratch and wrote out the principles from the passage and the insights that God had given me and the applications that came from the passage and developed those into a manuscript. And I happened to have a friend who is the acquisitions editor at Journey Forth Publishers, and I communicated with her, and she and Journey Forth agreed to publish the manuscript. And through that process, the title was given to this, The Thriving Church, The True Measure of Growth. And as, as we consulted together, and they arrived, and we arrived at that title, I thought, you know, that's it. It's about growth, but it's about more than growth. It's about a church that's thriving. And I want to point out a couple of things in Ephesians 4 just to encourage you and maybe to arouse your interest a little bit in this passage and also possibly in this resource, The Thriving Church, The True Measure of Growth, that might be helpful to you. Actually, it's near the end of the passage where you start to see the idea of growth coming out. Uh, I'm just going to jump in. You know, it's one of these long sentences that Paul uses, but I'm going to jump in at Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 15, where he says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Do you hear it there? He talks about growing up in verse 15, and then in verse 16 he talks about the growth of the body. Now, that's one of Paul's 
very complicated sentences with lots of prepositional phrases and you hardly know where it starts and where it ends and how it all fits together. But that's that's a big part of the the labor that I performed in in investigating this passage was trying to untangle and and lay out in diagram form what Paul was saying and what his main ideas are and what the supporting ideas are. And one thing that I arrived at was that the the church itself contributes to its own growth. Now, we know that God gives growth. The Holy Spirit is the one who is at work actively in the life of the church, causing it to grow. But we also have the opportunity to contribute to the growth of the church, and that's what he's saying. In fact, the subject in verse 16 is the whole body, and then the verb is causes growth of the body. So so if you can simplify it, condense it down to its most basic parts, the body causes the body to grow, Paul is saying. Now that's interesting because that tells us that you and I, pastors as well as church members who are included in this passage, have the opportunity and I would say the responsibility to contribute to growth in the church. Now, that immediately raises a few questions. One is, so what do we do to contribute to the growth of the church? Well, that's what I find in that passage, verses 1 through 16 of Ephesians 4, are the elements that contribute to growth in the church. And that's a lot of what I wrote about in The Thriving Church. What are those elements? But then it also raises the question, what is growth? What is the measure of growth? And that's where the subtitle of the book comes from, The True Measure of Growth. And let me just highlight another part of this passage. And I'll actually start in verse uh, 11 because that's where it really connects with you as a pastor, where it says Christ gave pastors and teachers. And I'm sure you're familiar with the next part of this, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. But I know in my own experience, I have tended to stop right there and not really push ahead because the phraseology gets, it gets difficult and, and a little bit tough to understand. But let me read verse 13. So, so he gives pastors to equip saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. But now listen to what he says. Till... In other words, until, and that's talking about a a progression over time, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or completely mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow, <laughs> that, that does get very complex and profound and deep, doesn't it? But as a pastor, I mean, it necessitates our understanding it, right? I mean, I mean, if this is a key passage about life in the church, if this is telling us how we can all contribute to growth in the church, and if it's putting before us as pastors a model of what that growth looks like, then certainly we should understand it. And it it warrants the labor, the study, the prayer, 
that goes into understanding what Paul is saying, especially there in verse 13. Now, I'm just going to highlight uh, one little element of this. So he says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity is a key word there. So as we think about the church growing and what it's growing toward, one of those major goals of growth is unity. Unity. Unity in the church is of vital importance. Now, that can make you a little nervous because you might be thinking about the areas of tension in your church, maybe even division or even contention in your church that may be happening in your church right now. It may involve some individuals. It may involve a block of people or a group within the church. And you would say, hmm, well, I wouldn't maybe say there is hostility. There are no big church fights going on right now, but but I'm not sure that there is real unity, that there is harmony and togetherness there. Well, unity is vital, and that's one of the goals of growth in the church. And if you go back to the very beginning of this passage, Ephesians 4, he talks about how we should endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And again, I touch on that or talk extensively, I guess I should say, about that in, in the thriving church. So, so one goal of growth is unity. But then he says, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the other goal of growth is fullness. So there is unity, or we might say oneness, in the church, and then there is fullness, the fullness of Christ. So what is the measure of growth in the church? The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And again, that is a deep and profound concept. What is the fullness of Christ? Well, let me just give you one, one thought on that. In John chapter 1, verse 14, John says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the fullness of Jesus Christ at least includes these elements of grace and truth. So let me just bring it back to your church. If your church is growing, and if the measure of growth is what we have here in Ephesians 4, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that definitely includes these qualities of grace and truth. So, as a pastor, your role is to help your church grow in oneness and in fullness. And that fullness includes the qualities of grace and truth. Grace and truth. So think about that and investigate this passage and consider how your church can be growing in grace and truth. What a goal for this year, for 2020 that your church would be growing in these qualities of grace and truth. Now, again, those are, those are vast concepts, but let your mind dwell on it. Let your heart focus on that, meditate on that, do some investigating in Scripture on that. And I would invite you, if you think that this resource would be helpful to you, to take a look at The Thriving Church, The True Measure of Growth, because I investigate and lay out 
what grace and truth are and even make it tangible by showing you how we see those elements in the life of Jesus Christ and make applications to ways that we can develop these qualities in our churches. So I just encourage you to give some attention to Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and I invite you to take a look at this resource, The Thriving Church, The True Measure of Growth. It is available on Amazon. It is also at journeyforth.com, journeyforth.com. That's the publisher's website. You can also get it at the Faith Baptist Bible College Bookstore. You can order it from there, from the Faith Baptist Bible College Bookstore, or if you're in the area, you can pick it up there. If you and I cross paths personally, um, I try to have some copies with me, and I'd be glad to uh, connect with you and provide one for you that way. Now, as always, I like to wrap up our time together with prayer. So just wherever you are and whatever you're doing, maybe you can just quiet your heart and join me in your heart as I now pray for you. Heavenly Father, we cling to the assurance that you are God. You are the I am the self-existent one. You are above, you are beyond, you transcend. You exist in past, present, and future. You always are. And we find ourselves so weak and limited and inadequate, and especially when we look at the responsibilities we have and the calling on our lives and the, the, the great cause that we serve, the cause of Christ and, and his church-building work. But I thank you that just like you reached out in grace and love to Moses and said, I am with you, that you do the same with us. And I pray that my pastor friend who I'm praying for and with right now would sense and, and be able to accept and claim that truth. I am with you. You, Yahweh, the God of heaven who rules all, are with that pastor. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the challenges, whatever the exciting opportunities and possibilities that are ahead, Lord, I pray that that pastor right now would lean on you, would rest in that truth, would accept your presence in his life and be reassured by that. And Father, I also thank you that you are the one, Lord Jesus, who is building your church, and we have the privilege of participating in your church-building work, and as we pastor, as we shepherd, that we can actually help contribute to growth in the church, and we can lead and encourage our people to help the church grow, to help their church grow and thrive. And I pray for my pastor friend right now, that you would help him to shepherd and lead and encourage his people to be a growing church and to thrive as you intend them to. So provide your encouragement, assure them of your presence, give direction for their ministry. And I thank you that we can spend these moments together. And I pray that they would truly honor you and exalt Christ and result in the building up of the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
Pastor friend, thank you so much for spending this time with me. There are a few ways we can connect. One is through my website, deanhtaylor.com. I try to provide some helpful things there. There are actually some articles there related to the thriving church. You can look up and maybe be encouraged by those. We can connect on Twitter at deanhtaylor63, or you can email me at shepherdologypodcast at gmail.com. And thank you again for the opportunity to spend this time with you here today. Let's get together again soon, and we'll talk shepherdology.